uh, as a church, we know, and you, you'd be aware of the massive need uh, in our nation at the moment uh, through the bushfires. And so um, as part of some of the proceeds of our garage sale, uh, we are going to be donating uh, money towards the bushfire appeal as well uh, through our garage sale. So there's just such a massive need, as you'd be so aware of. Um, the other thing as well is 18 to 21-year-olds, young adults. Uh, we've been talking a little bit about this over the last few weeks, but our Immerse Leadership Program runs for about six weeks. It actually starts this Wednesday, but it's not too late if you've kind of been umming and ahhing about it or thinking about it. We have some more information down the front here. Um, Jody will be here as well, and so you, could, or you can chat to Pastor Jody after the service. But it's not too late to be a part of that. Starts this Wednesday. Um, come and see Jody after the service uh, if you want to find out a little bit more about that. Um, I think that's all there is to mention. The only other thing uh, we do want to do now, I mentioned before around our bushfires, and um, um, it, there's a huge need in our nation at the moment. Uh, now, there's a guy here, Stewie Beveridge. I think I saw him earlier. Oh, here he is. Stewie Beveridge, who comes to our church. Stewie actually works for Samaritan's Purse, which is an arm of the Billy Graham Association, isn't it? Sort of like the hands and the feet on the ground. And uh, Stewie is heading off this week uh, to do some stuff, uh, um, uh, helping out around the bushfires. And uh, it'd be great if you could tell us a little bit more about that and what you've been doing. And uh, we'd love to pray for you as a church as well. Thanks, bro. G'day, church. It's good to be with you. Uh, thank you for the opportunity to share a little bit about uh, what this ministry is about. It's about hands and feet and hearts connecting with people in their time of need. You know, we, we see so much in the news and... and uh, it's good to know that there are organizations, Christian organizations who love Jesus passionately and are wanting to say, God has not abandoned you. God has not turned his back on you. Um, God is not blaming you. He is not judging you. He's in the midst of the fire with you and he's in the, he's in the recovery and we want to be a part of that. Uh, so I'm privileged to lead a team of chaplains. There's 35 of us here in Australia and we work alongside the Samaritan's Purse Disaster Relief that do the hands and feet sort of clean-ups. They, they help yards uh, you know, get cleaned out. They cut down damaged trees. They uh, help people whose homes have been uh, burned or damaged to, to do the, the clearance work so that a new place can be built, so that a family's got a place to live in. You know, I wish I could take you with me as we walk alongside people. We get talking to them and, yeah, the fire, they want to talk about the fire and how close it came, but they also want to talk about stuff that's going on in their life, you know, those other levels of crises, and uh, you know, people are carrying so much, and uh, having someone who will just sit and listen and let them talk, and uh, where it's appropriate to pray with them, you know, we thank God that we saw six salvations in Taree last year, just before Christmas, you know, of people that our teams were working with. Last year, overall, we saw 53 salvations as in disaster and crisis zones from Townsville to Bunyip in Victoria to uh, the northern coast of New South Wales before Christmas and Christchurch after the shooting event uh, earlier, the, earlier last year. Uh, so my role is simply to, to minister and lead and manage the team be a bit of a prayer warrior for them while they're out there. And I just want to share that and ask for you guys. You can, you can pray with us and for us. And we would cover that because ultimately this is about Jesus and making him known in a, in a world of, of hurting people. So thank you for your prayers. Thank you for your support as a church. It's incredible. Um, if you want to know a bit more, go to samaritanspurse.org.au. Or if you want to know about the chaplains, go to billygraham.org.au. So I'll be leaving tomorrow, going to Sydney, standing up our team, getting all the management stuff out of the way so that hopefully by next weekend when the roads open up, uh, we'll be ready to rock and roll. So God bless you. Thank you so much.
Thanks, Stu. Stay here. We'll pray for you. Yeah. We want to we wanna pray all together. Why don't we jump up on our feet? We're going to take up the offering as well on this next song, but we want to pray. And uh, I thought it'd be appropriate as well. Um, we'll. We'll pray for Stu in just a moment. Um, but I want to give you an opportunity to pray for our nation. Uh, like I said, there's huge need. And so maybe just in your heart and in your head in this moment, we might just take a moment of silence just to pray. Pray for our nation and pray um, for our government and those in these uh, roles where they need to lead and guide and, and uh, for, for God to, uh, to intervene in this situation. So let's do that now. Let's just take a moment to pray. That'd be great. Father, thank you that you've heard every prayer here tonight as we lift up this great nation of yours, Father. Uh, we just pray for your intervention. We desperately plead and pray with you this very night that you would bring about rain and particularly in the right areas, Father God. Uh, we just ask God, uh, we, just, we just plead with you. We, we knock on the gates of heaven and just ask, great God, that you would just work in a way that only you can do, Father God. And so we just plead. Um, for this nation and, and, and for those, Father God, that are serving, we pray for your protection to be over them. We pray for our government, that you would guide them, give them discernment and wisdom as how to, to, to go about this, Father. And of course, we want to pray for Stu. Thank you for his heart, his willingness. Thank you, Lord, uh, that as he leaves tomorrow, that you're with him and protecting him. And we just pray for some divine opportunities for him and his team uh, to interact and connect with the right people, Father God, to be able to speak life and love into these people's lives, to be able to speak hope that this isn't the end, but there is something more. There is a future hope. And I just pray, Father God, for some real God-ordained conversations to take place, Father God, uh, that as Jews already expressed, uh, those that have come to know you throughout the past year, will we pray in Jesus' name for many more, great God. This is your heart. This is your desire. You came to seek and save the lost. And so we know that this is your will, Father. And we just pray uh, that you would continue to revive your people, Father God, that you would just sweep across this nation, drawing many to yourself and, and work working in ways that people look back and say, only God, only God, only God could do such a thing, Father God. And so we cry out to you tonight. We worship you, great God. Come, come Holy Spirit, do a work that only you can do. We love you heaps, Lord. We pray to you. We worship you, great God. And we just pray all these things in Jesus' mighty and precious name. Amen. 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 Yeah, we can worship Him. Give Him thanks, Lord. We, we praise You that You are alive, the living God, that You're here tonight. You want to speak to each and every person, Lord. Thank You that it's no accident that each and every person is here tonight, Lord. You ordained it. You knew it. Great God. And so I pray that we'll have hearts open to hear what it is You have to say to us, great God. In our hearts now, we just pray. We just, right now, in fact, in your, in your heart, just to pray, Lord, speak to me tonight. Open your heart to Him. Wherever you are on the journey, He longs to draw near. And so we commit this time to you now as we open your word together. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Church, we are really blessed to have Brad Chalinor coming to share the word with us. Brad has been part of Bridgman for um, over 20 years. He's grown up here in the church now. Um, him and his wife, Jess, are key leaders in our city service ministry, the city church that we run in there. Um, Brad's been part of the preaching team uh, in there in the city. God, seeing God do some incredible things, in fact. And uh, Brad has come to bring God's word to us tonight as well. So I'd love if you could make Brad feel really, really welcome as he comes to share with us. Nathan looks awfully casual today. I think he's slipped into holiday mode, which is great. I just wanted to extend my welcome. I have been here for a very long time, a very long time. Thanks for putting up with me, everyone. But just as we did the worship service, I really felt 
um, that there was a bit of a word for somebody that's sitting in here. Just the idea of inserting yourself and your name into the lyrics that we sing in these worship songs. So we sung um, Reckless Love. And I really want you to focus on putting your name here. I'm just going to read the lyrics. But just mull on what that means for you. So it talks about God's overwhelming love, his never-ending love, that he chases you down, that he fights till you're found, that he leaves the 99 for you here sitting in this building, that you couldn't earn it, that you don't deserve it, and yet still our mighty God gives his life away for you. And then the second bit was in that next song, uh, Living Hope. And it's for anyone that's struggling here right now thinking that you're not good enough, that you're, you're not good enough to be forgiven, that you can't come close to God. I just want to say this lyric here, the cross has spoken, you are forgiven. And there's no question, Jesus has spoken. He speaks a greater word over you tonight that you are forgiven. And in the spirit of that, I just want to pray for us as we go into God's word. So let me do that. Join me there. Lord, We know that you, the almighty God, are here in this building with us, your people. And God, we believe that you speak through your word. Lord, that you shift and change people's attitudes towards you as the word is preached. So Lord, I'm just praying that through my weakness, your might might be shown. Lord, that it wouldn't be through wise or persuasive words, but a demonstration of your Holy Spirit's power working through a weak vessel. God, we love you. Would you open our hearts to all you want to say to us this very night? Amen. So great. I can't really see anyone, but is a quick show of hands. Who here is old enough to remember 1961? I can't see. I'm assuming some hands are going up. Yeah, look, I'm, I'm not that old. I don't remember that. So I did what any millennial would do. I whipped out Google. And here is a quick crash course in 1961. So it should come up on the screen, hopefully. So in 1961, John F. Kennedy was inaugurated as the 35th President of the United States. There he is. If we go to the next slide, an East German worker lays some of the first stones and blocks for the Berlin Wall, and that's August of 1961. This next picture is this marvellous technology called a TV. And in 1961, they said, this is the future of TVs. And it's what my TV looks like at home, so it's great. And this next photo we're going to go to, that guy's got huge eyebrows, first and foremost, but the guy on the right, he's a guy called Yuri Gagarin. And on the 12th of April, 1961, He was the first Russian cosmonaut, in fact, the first human being to ever journey into outer space and complete one full orbit of the Earth. So Nikita Khrushchev, who was the premier of Russia at the time, was, I guess, gaining some sort of notoriety for his anti-religious propaganda. And after Yuri had achieved this incredible feat, going to space for the first time, Khrushchev proclaimed very confidently that Russia's official status is irreligious. Their stance was atheist. There is no God. Khrushchev said that their trip to outer space served as confirmation. They now had definitive proof that there is no God. They, 
Almighty Russia had sent a man to the heavens and there was no sign of God. He wasn't sitting on some giant throne. He wasn't there. They looked around. They looked left, right, up, down, every which way you do in space, but they could not see him anywhere. Now, at the time, um, you've probably heard of a guy called C.S. Lewis. He heard this argument and thought it wasn't really a reasonable um, argument against the existence of God, so he thought he would retort with an essay called The Seeing Eye. So Lewis is pretty renowned for being one of the best articulators of the Christian faith through story and through analogy. And he used this particular analogy that I'm about to share with you um, to describe God's relationship with humankind, God's great love for humankind. So in that essay, Lewis suggests that if there really is a God, we wouldn't relate to him as if someone on earth might relate to someone in space. He listened to Khrushchev's comments and realized what Khrushchev was suggesting is that the relationship God has to humankind is the same relationship that you and I might have to a neighbor who lives above us. And that if we simply traversed our way up the stairs, you and I might be able to see him. He was saying that human beings, we live here on the first floor, and Russia had sent someone to the second floor, and they looked around, and God wasn't there. They couldn't see him, therefore, he does not exist. But Lewis argued that if you actually think about it for a minute, we wouldn't relate to God as though we lived on the first floor and he lived on the second. Instead, Lewis suggests that we would relate to God as Hamlet would relate to Shakespeare. You see, Shakespeare created Hamlet. It would be pointless for Hamlet to try and climb up the rafters to get to the second tier of the theatre to learn something about Shakespeare because that's not where Shakespeare exists. You see, Shakespeare is the author. He is the creator, which means the only way that Hamlet can find out anything about Shakespeare is if Shakespeare was to make himself a character in the play. You see, for Hamlet to know Shakespeare at all, Shakespeare would need to write himself into Hamlet's story. He would need to become a character alongside Hamlet. He would need to live like Hamlet and interact with him. You know, in the same way, us as created beings, we cannot know the creator by simply looking into space as Russia suggested. If we did that, we wouldn't see him because that's not where he exists. Now, going back to that analogy, it is only possible way that Hamlet, the created beings, you and I, can know anything about Shakespeare, the author or the creator, is if Shakespeare was to write himself into the play. And in the same way, the created beings can only know God if he enters into our story. C.S. Lewis used this analogy to explain the relationship that we have to God. You see, God created us. He authored us. And therefore, we can only know him if he came into our story and lived beside us. And I want to tell you here tonight, definitively, that this is what God has done for us in Jesus. That he actually wrote himself into our story, into our play, that we might know something about God. Now, I don't know what your picture of God is here tonight, good or bad, but this God, the author of life itself, 
wrote himself, Jesus Christ, into our play so that we might actually know him, not as some far off or distant God sitting in the heavens or sitting in space somewhere, but as Emmanuel, God with us. But one of the most incredible parts about this truth is that it's not just that God entered into our story, which he did. He did much more than just write himself into our play. His character was written in to come and to rescue us, to set us free, to give you and I true and abundant life. I just want you to listen to the way that um, the, the gospel writer, John, puts it in his gospel. It's a very famous verse. For God so loved the world that he gave or sent his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. John three sixteen through to 17. So did you catch, do you understand the depth of that analogy that I was trying to come across? And if we look at this verse, God loved you. And similar to me reiterating those song lyrics, God loved you, not just the person next to you, not the better version of you, you as you are. God loved you so much that he wrote himself into your story as you are today, not just to introduce himself, he entered the story to rescue you. He's not here to condemn you, although he is here tonight, he's not here to condemn you, but to save you, to set you free. And I really believe, again, that someone needs to hear that tonight, that God's not here to condemn you. God's not here to point the finger at you and say how bad you are. He actually sent at a great cost to himself, himself into the world, that you might know him and that he might know you. So, Hebrews states, the sun radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. And Jesus, in his own words, states that anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So how do we know something about our creator? Well, we look to Jesus Christ, the exact representation of the Father. We look to this Emmanuel that we look at over this season, God with us. So tonight, I want to take us through a bit of a journey into John chapter 9. and We're going to be taking a closer look at Jesus' encounter with a blind man. And we're going to look for little clues of how God the Father is revealing himself to you and I today and to the original audience through himself, his son, Jesus Christ, Emmanuel. And what I want to do straight away, and we probably don't normally do this, but I just think if you are able... Would you stand to your feet for the reading of God's word? And it's not the standing. Do you want to stand now? It's, it's not the standing that's anything. It's just out of a reverence and a respect for our good God's word. So we're reading from John 9, if you want to follow along, the NIV version. It's called Jesus Heals a Man Born Blind. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? Was it this man or his parents that he was born blind? It was neither this man nor his parents that sinned, Jesus said, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work, but while I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground, he made some mud with the saliva and put it into the man's eyes. Go, he told him. Wash in the pool of Siloam, and in brackets here it says, this word means sent. So the man went 
and washed and came home seeing. You can sit. I'm just going to pray for us as you do that. God, we're a people of prayer. I want to be a person of prayer. And Lord, again, I reiterate the fact that you are here, that you want to speak. Open our hearts, I pray, in your holy name. Amen. Well, great. So I've just read that chunk from um, 9, but I want to give us a bit of context as well, what just happened in chapter 8. So as chapter 8 finished, we find ourselves in Jerusalem. It's around about the time of the Feast of Tabernacles, and Jesus had just been in the temple debating with the religious leaders, having a bit of back and forth. And as they do with Jesus, things started to get a little bit heated. And it says, actually, towards the end of John chapter 8, that the religious leaders began to creep down to grab some stones ready to stone Jesus. And I don't know how Jesus always does it, but he, he slips away. And that's where we pick up our story. Jesus has just slipped away from these religious leaders and he's walking around goodness knows where, doing goodness knows what. So we're going to focus on this first section for the, for the first little bit here. and talking about as he went along, he saw a blind man from birth. So it's interesting when you read some of these accounts, you'll read about it in, in John chapter 4 where Jesus encounters a Samaritan woman. But it's often that Jesus is the pursuer. It's not often that the person seeks out Jesus. Jesus finds these people. In fact, for this blind man that we just read about, it, probably, it wasn't even possible for him to seek out Jesus. Jesus found him. And again, I always want to be pulling it back to what it means for us right now, and I do believe it with all my heart that Jesus wants to encounter you if you will let him tonight. And if we move on a little bit further, we, we get to this idea where the disciples ask, who sinned? Was it him? Was it his parents? So in that time, there was like a bit of an Eastern tradition around karma, this karma mentality or a karmic retribution. So there's an, there was an Eastern saying kicking around that there is no suffering without iniquity or there is no suffering without you having done something bad first. And that's how the disciples, they saw the world. That was their worldview. If you were suffering, you must have done something to deserve that suffering. I think that's pretty rough, don't you, when they're sort of saying, hey, did he sin or his parents sin? Like, the guy's, he's not um, deaf. He can hear them. He's blind. So he's just sitting there copying it all. But what the disciples are actually saying is, did he sin in the womb? And that was actually a thing that people thought. Or was it his parents that sinned and then that inherited down to him? So at the time, they actually believed that you could pay back your karma debt to free yourself from that suffering. That's why people at that time were so reluctant to intervene when a person was suffering. They didn't want to rob that person of their right to pay back their karmic debt. When I was, I reckon I was about eight years old, um, I was a great eight-year-old, actually. My parents might be here. They'll attribute to that. And uh, one day I, I looked out and I saw this gigantic pile of bricks and I thought, you know what? I'm going to do something about that. So I put my best pair of shorts on and I walked outside, stumbled over to this big pile of bricks and I thought, I'm going to get rid of these bricks for dad. What's the greatest way to do that? And I thought, well, I'm going to take brick by brick and I'm just going to throw it over into the neighbor's yard. I just thought I was, I thought I was an absolute hero, to be honest. And Dad gets back home from work and he struts in as, as he does. He doesn't really strut. I don't know why I said that. And um, anyway, he said, what's, what's the go with here? And I said, 
Dad, because that's my eight-year-old voice. I got rid of those bricks for you. I threw them over. And he said, um, son, <laughs> um, how many bricks did you throw over? And I said, dad, you know what? Oh, sorry, I'm slipping in and out of my eight-year-old character here. Um, I probably threw about eight bricks over, dad. Aren't I good? In which dad preceded me to, to smack me eight times as if that somehow deserved me to be smacked. But that's this idea of like, I threw eight bricks over and I got eight smacks. Different time, different time. Um, but it's always, it's not that simple. And Jesus challenges their mind view, He's, their, their worldview at the time. He challenges their mentality. I love his response. He says, it's, it's, nothing to, it's nothing to do with that. It wasn't his sin. It wasn't his parents' sin. It was so the glory of God might be displayed. What Jesus is showing is that suffering is not as clear cut as you do something wrong you get punished. It's just not that simple. There are so many examples through the Bible of this, like Job. If you read Job's story, one of the most righteous men that ever walked the planet, but his suffering was great. And that's a whole nother sermon, this suffering thing, so I'm just going to leave that there. But I do want to encourage you, if you are suffering, like this blind man, come to Jesus. Just come to Jesus. So we get to the next bit, and it talks about this night and this, this light as well. So often in these ancient texts and, and the way that they spoke back there, words were more than just the word on the page. There was something underneath. So when it talks about night is coming, there was often a connotation of evil is coming, darkness is coming. And light actually combats that night. And again, I, there's something behind these words. So when the original audience, and I pray that it's us tonight as well, when they heard that word light, their minds go to several different places through the Torah, through the, the ancient scripture. And one of them where light comes to mind is at the very beginning, the start of the Torah, the book of Genesis. So let me just read this bit to you. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And this is the key bit here. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. God said, let there be light, and there was. So did you catch that? The Bible says that before there was light in the world, the world was utterly formless, it was empty, it was consumed by darkness, but it didn't stay that way. The Creator spoke and light came into the world. And if you read on in the story, you'll notice that when light comes into the world, that which was once formless begins to be formed. That which was once empty is now brimming with life. That which was once consumed by darkness is now illuminated with light. Listen to Jesus' own words in John chapter 8. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but have the light of life. So Jesus' simple reference to the light is meant to point to something much bigger than the fact that he can simply light up a room when he walks in. He is saying that just like the light ushered in life at the very beginning of time, so too, he is bringing life. He is bringing light to a dark world, a world that is desperate for him.
And that's a pretty big statement when you try and digest that, when you think about that. It's a big statement. What Jesus is saying is that I am the giver of life, that I'm the sustainer of life, that I'm the one who comes to combat the darkness. And in essence, what he's saying is, I am God. They're pretty powerful things, and we're going to go into them as we move on in this chapter. And this next little couple of sentences is probably the part I want to spend the most time on. So let me read it for you again in verse 6 here. After saying this, he spit on the ground and he made some mud with the saliva and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. So I just want you to put yourself in this man's shoes for a minute or his sandals or I'm not sure he had shoes. But here's this blind man who happens upon this guy who spits in his eyes and tells him to go wash and suddenly he can see. I wonder how you would react if someone spit in your eyes and told you to go wash in the Chermside pool. I think that it's going to be a little bit different. I don't know if you'd just be obedient to that call. But honestly, how bizarre, but how incredible. After all those years of being blind, remember he was born blind, finally being able to put a face to a name, to see your parents for the first time, to see something that you and I probably take for granted every day, something as simple as a sunrise or a sunset. And as we read these couple of sentences, it's very easy with our 21st century lenses to focus on the physical and miss the deeper meaning that the author had for his original audience, but for us here tonight as well. In these few short sentences, the author is trying to communicate something much bigger than just a simple physical miracle. That first section, the mixing the spit with the dirt. So again, when, when we talk about dirt, in those times, the mind wanders to other parts of the scripture, references deeper meaning. So when Jesus reached down and he grabbed some dirt and put it in the man's eyes, and the man was restored his sight, the mind goes back to that Genesis account as well. And if you've read it, you'll know that you and I, it says that human beings were made from dust. You see, Jesus creates sight in the man just as God created something in the beginning of time. That God made human beings out of the dust and Jesus in an act of creation used a little dust to create sight in this man. Only God can create. Therefore, the author is telling us this man, Jesus Christ, is God. You see, the author knows that his audience is actually eagerly awaiting this Emmanuel. We, we read about it in Isaiah and other books of the prophets as well. He, they, they're eagerly waiting him to come and to make things right. And knowing all of this, he uses these small details to show his audience that Jesus is indeed this awaited Messiah, the promised one of God. So next section is, is the washing. So why send this man to wash in water at all? Couldn't he have just healed the man with a click of the fingers right there? Well, the things we do know about water is that water has a cleansing effect. We wash in water to remove dirt from us, to become clean. Water also has the ability to bring life 
and to actually resurrect things from the dead. You only have to think of the drought that we're in at the moment or the fires going on. We're actually desperate for rain, for water, to come to our crops, to nourish our soil, to put fires out. You could say that without water, things wither and things die. So, yeah, the water, but why this particular body of water? Well, again, we know that when someone clarifies something in the Bible, when when things are repeated, the author is trying to convey something deeply important to his message. And the author of this gospel, John, won't allow his audiences to miss the significance of washing in the pool of Siloam. That's why he goes and clarifies it up there in the brackets in verse 7. It's meaning sent. So, you might ask, why is washing in scent so significant? Why send this man to this particular pool over any other body of water, which I'm sure there are many of? So, to go down this rabbit warren, we we really need to focus on this word scent that's highlighted again and again. If we listen to what the prophet Isaiah says, which we're going to, about the one who will be sent of God, so let's re- will you read this with me as we go through some of these. So Isaiah 61 says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the blind, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And again in Isaiah 35, be strong and do not fear. And this is for when the Messiah comes, Emmanuel. For your God is coming to destroy your enemies. He is coming to save you. And when he comes, listen to this, he will open the eyes of the blind. He will unplug the ears of the deaf. The lame will leap like a deer. And those who cannot speak will sing for joy. Again, Isaiah 29, in that day when God comes, The deaf will hear words of the scroll, and out of the gloom and darkness, eyes of the blind will see. So from all of those, it's clear that when this Messiah comes that had been promised for generations, blind eyes will see. Listen to some of these other Old Testament authors about that as well, these blind eyes opening. I will lead the blind by ways they have not known. Along unfamiliar paths, I will guide them. I will turn the darkness into light before them and make the rough places smooth. These are the things I will do. I will not forsake them. Again in the Psalms, the Lord frees the prisoners. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. Psalm 146. So I just got a really quick question for you again. Again, I can't see you, but I'm sure some people are going to be raising their hands. Quick question. How many people do you think were healed of blindness in the Old Testament? So we're going to do a bit of a survey. You've got to work with me here. So hands up if you think it was two or less. I can see one hand. Great. How many believe that it was five or less in the Old Testament? I'm assuming there's more hands going up. I can see a hand over there. Great. How many think it was ten or more healed of blindness in the Old Testament? More hands going up. Great. Well, from what I can see, you're all wrong. The answer is actually none. This opening of blind eyes was actually a work that was exclusively attributed to God. 
and serves as a sign that this sent one has come, that this long-awaited Messiah, that Emmanuel, God is with us. We see similar things in the New Testament as well. John the Baptist, we know this guy. You know, he ate weird things. He ate a lot of honey. I think he was pretty hairy. could have been someone else. But he had been anointed to pronounce the coming of the Messiah. And across his ministry, he had seen the power of God. He'd seen mighty things happen. But he's come to a point in his life where he's sitting in jail by himself. Now, some questions start to bubble up. Is this Jesus guy? Is he, is he really the Messiah? Am I in prison for no reason? Am I going to die for the wrong cause, for the wrong person? And in a moment of doubt, John the Baptist sends some of his disciples to question this Jesus guy. And let's have a look at the, um, the reaction here. So when John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent disciples to ask him, are you the one who is sent? Or should we be expecting someone else? Listen to Jesus' response. Go back and report to John what you hear and what you see. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is being proclaimed to the poor. So did you say, you catch that thing that Jesus is saying to John? Jesus is saying to John, remember what the prophet spoke of. That when the sent one comes, blind eyes are being opened. I think that's pretty incredible. The author of the story here is trying to show anyone who would read this account that this Jesus, the one who opens blind eyes, is this promised Messiah. And how do we know that Emmanuel is with us? It's when blind eyes are opened. This Jesus that we're talking about, he is the sent one. So next we're looking at the Siloam part. And you know, in the story, Jesus is sending someone to wash in this pool of Siloam and their sight is returned. Again, pretty incredible. The man washes in this pool called Sent and then suddenly his eyes are opened and he sees for the first time. And this is what I want to tell you. This is what I want to suggest to you tonight. That the pool of Siloam represents Jesus Christ the one we talk about so often. So as this pool was called sent, so Jesus is the supremely sent one. And what Jesus is saying to this blind man in this moment, um, and I believe it's to hear us tonight as well, wash in me. Wash in me the sent one and your eyes will be opened. And we know that this isn't just a physical thing. The author is calling each one of us, you and me, to come to this Jesus character, the sent one, to receive spiritual sight, to come out of the darkness that we're so easily inclined to live in and to accept the light of the world. I just want to read to you what the Hebrews, no one knows who authored Hebrews, but uh, what he describes as when you come to Jesus. Listen to this in, in Hebrews 10, 10 to 12. Our sins are washed away and we are made clean because Christ gave his body as a sacrifice 
and he did this once for all time. You see, again, this author is showing us today that Jesus restored this man's sight, something that was exclusively reserved for God and therefore that he is showing us that Jesus is this sent one from God. He is the Messiah. He is this Emmanuel we speak of, God with us. I think that's pretty incredible. I really do. And as we move on in the story, um, we don't have heaps of time to get into it, but this uneducated, formerly blind man shares his testimony with the religious leaders at the time. And they were out to discredit him as a person, saying he was never blind. They were questioning if it was the same person. And they're also out to discredit Jesus. They didn't want to be pulled off their throne. They didn't want Jesus around. And it actually says they were accusing Jesus of being simply a sinner, if you read it for yourself. So here they are berating him. They continually bring him before. They actually bring his parents before as well. Then they bring him back for questioning. But I love his response to these religious leaders at the time. And you can imagine, he has spent his entire life blind, uneducated, sitting and begging. And here he comes before the most powerful men of the time, and this is how he responds to them. Whether this Jesus is a sinner or not, I don't know. The one thing I know is I was blind, but now I see. And I think that would have been a bit of a mic drop moment right there. Because if you think about it, he'd never even seen Jesus at that point. He had just heard his voice. And he's saying, oh, look, I don't know who this guy is. All I know is that I couldn't see before. And I met this guy. I, I obeyed him. And now I can see. I want to tell you that that would have made the religious leaders furious. Because as we've gone into, the blind, healing someone from blindness, that's exclusively reserved for God. Only God can do that. And this is the irony in this all, that the same light of Jesus, the light of the world, that same light that brought this blind man's sight is the same light that turned the religious leaders more blind. There's that spiritual blindness. And there is two responses. You can choose to either be blinded by the light and you can choose to retreat and live in the darkness closing your eyes, ignoring the one who has come to bring you life, or you can open your eyes. And Jesus is calling every one of us here to open our eyes to the truth and the reality that he is the supremely sent one and that he wants you to come and wash in himself. As we read in this last section of this chapter, that Jesus went and he, he finds this man for the very first time the very first time that this man had laid eyes on the one that restored his sight. And in this very short encounter, he ends up falling at Jesus' feet, worshipping him, worshipping the sent one, Emmanuel, God with us. Isn't that incredible? Here's a man born blind, meets this guy who spits in his eyes, tells him to go wash, he can see, and then by the end of this short encounter, he's flat on his face, worshipping that same man. You know, 
I want to tell you, and it might be hard to believe, that, that my story is actually very similar to this blind beggar. You know, going back a while, um, I would say that I was totally and utterly spiritually blind. I lived in my parents' home and they would tell me things like, do not bring alcohol into the home. And instead of respecting that, I did my own thing. It didn't bother me. And at the time, I, I couldn't even see that. I lived in utter selfishness, serving myself, serving my, my pleasures and all these things. I totally and utterly lived for myself with no concern for anyone around me. I was utterly blind. But I remember coming to this place and at my initial first thought was, I'm not good enough. How can me, this broken, blind sinner, come before a holy and a mighty and a righteous God? How is that possible? But I want to tell you that just like Jesus met this man, Jesus met me. Jesus met me and showed me. He opened my eyes. He said, you are righteous in my sight if you wash in this pool. If you come to me, this sent one, and lay it all down, come, wash in me, and you will receive spiritual sight. And I remember the first moment of joy when I allowed Jesus in. I remember it so vividly. Because me thinking people knew my past here, I'm not good enough. And I'm like, you and I, we are all brothers and sisters. And we've all fallen short of God's glorious standard. There is no one that's up here. There is no one down here. There's no standard. We've all fallen short of God's glorious standard. And I remember thinking, I'm the same as, as everyone in this room. I'm no less than. And I remember that verse you can now come boldly and confidently into the throne room of this almighty God that we've been speaking about with a great confidence. And that confidence, it doesn't come from performance. It doesn't come from being better. It comes from the sent one who says, freely wash in me, wash in me and receive spiritual sight, receive something new. And as I invite the band up, to come up here there is absolutely an invitation to you here tonight you sitting in this seat not the person next to you there's an invitation for you here tonight as we enter into 2020 to lay down the old to deliberately move away from the darkness to accept that Jesus is the light of the world but to lay everything before Siloam the sent one you come to Jesus and you will be washed and you'll be clean. And I want to tell you, it is life abundant in Jesus. It's not a life that lacks. It's not a life that is less than. It is everything life was meant to be found secure in the one that has been sent to save us and to rescue us. And there's a two, there is a twofold response like we've read here. So just like the Pharisees, if you hear about this light, if you hear about this pool of Siloam and coming to wash, you can harden your heart just like the Pharisees did. And you can blur your vision more and more and more to all that God is calling you to. And I pray that there is no one here that does that.
But the other response is doing what this blind man did, obeying the voice of the one who has been sent to rescue you. So if that is you here tonight, we're going to sing a song and it talks about um, letting there be light. And I pray that the eyes of your heart are opened as we sing these words, that you would allow this light of the world to come flooding into you, to speak to you, to speak to your insecurities. You often don't want to come out of the dark because you're scared. You know, what will people think? But do it. Jesus wants you to wash in Him tonight, to be clean, to receive sight. So as the song's going, if something in your heart's stirring, sing it out to Jesus. I pray that you sing it out to Jesus. If you want to talk to some of the pastoral team, they'll be down here. Um, But we are going to sing. And why don't you stand to your feet as we sing this response song. I'm just going to pray for us. Again, I believe Jesus is in the building by His Holy Spirit and that He wants to do a work, and that He wants you to come to Him for this year. It's the greatest decision you could ever make. So let me pray. Lord, You are here. Lord, You love us. And God, You have invited us to wash in You, the sent one. So God, I pray if there is anything being stirred in anyone's heart tonight, would they not hold back? Would they choose to move out of darkness and move into light? God, we believe you're powerful, you're mighty to save. Come and do it tonight, we pray. Amen. There's a couple of things that I was really wrestling with as Brad was sharing tonight. And um, the first one is this, is that I think sometimes if you're a Christian here tonight, there's a tendency as the people came and saw this man that was born blind to have this thought as they shared, you know, what has he done wrong? Was it him or his parents? And even as Christians, you may be sitting here tonight, still standing here tonight and feeling like I, I, I put my faith and trust in God, but I still feel like I fail and I fall short and 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 God doesn't love me or He doesn't have a plan or purpose for my life because of the fact that I've fallen short. And I really sense that if you're a Christian here tonight, that God wants you to know that as you put your faith and trust in Him, He loves you and He is well pleased with you. That is so important uh, that that He doesn't condemn you for that, um, but He is really well pleased with you. And He sees you as He saw His own Son, pure, righteous, white as snow. That is very, very important because so often you get so caught up in thinking, oh, God couldn't love me because I've failed and I've fallen short. But this is the great thing about the grace of God. Secondly is this, is I love this story. And the reason why I love it is because it's so practical. Here's this guy and they're saying, how did this happen? He says, I don't know. I don't understand the details, but all I know is that I was blind and now I can see. In essence, what he's saying is this, is I encountered the heavenly, I encountered God Himself and my life has been transformed. And I just sense that maybe it could just be one of you here tonight. But tonight as you stand, you think, I'd love an encounter with Him. I'd love to know for myself, could this be true? Could my life be transformed? Now there's many people that can stand up here and attest, yes, that could happen to you. And I just thought it was right and appropriate to, to give you an opportunity to respond to Him. Just a real simple response to say, God, I'd love to encounter you, understand the fullness of you and the realness of you, the truth of you in my own life. And so if you'd be willing just to bow your heads and close your eyes, I'd love to lead you in a prayer. 
If that's you tonight, I just want to lead you on a really simple prayer in your head and in your heart. You could just pray this prayer. Dear God, I don't understand the fullness of all of this, but I'd love to know if you're true and real. I don't understand all the details, but I just pray, God, that I would meet you, that you would reveal yourself to me, that I could surrender my life to you and allow you to be Lord and Saviour of my life. If that's you tonight, you can just pray this prayer. God, come into my life. I've been spiritually blind, but I want my eyes to be open to the light of you. Be Lord and Saviour my life right now. I surrender all to you. In Jesus' Name, Amen. And Father, I thank You for Your promise. I thank You for Your Word. That regardless of where we are, I believe You're a great God, a great Dad. And uh, we just want to continue to surrender our lives to You, regardless of where we are in our journey and our walk with You. We surrender to You, knowing that You've got a plan and a purpose for our lives, Father God, that You love us and that You are well pleased. And so we thank You, great God, that You again invite us to be a part of what You are doing. And uh, we are such a privileged and grateful people, Father God. We love You so much and we pray all these things in Jesus' mighty and precious Name. Amen. Amen. It has been so good to have you here tonight. If you want to find out more, we'd love to give you a Bible pack which has some more information. But God bless you so much. Have an awesome week. May God use you this week wherever you are. And uh, God willing, we'll see you next Sunday. All right. Thanks, Heath.